fifth episode now. Is Eight it now? I think. Maybe. Goodness uh, gracious. Goodness Time gracious. flies when you're having fun. Does it? A fifth episode of the Armchair Philosophy Podcast. Uh, we're very glad that you could join us. Uh, today, uh, as always, this is Alessandro. Joining me is... Troilus! And a new addition to the Armchair Philosophy Podcast family... Jordan. Jordan. And uh, today we're going to be talking about aesthetics, as promised. Look at that, we uphold our promises. We, we, we do, or we try to. We try to, at least. Before we get started, I'd just like to point out a couple things about aesthetics and about this podcast. So, uh, so today we have two people here that dealt have dealt very much with aesthetics. Uh, Troilus, you've got some background in aesthetics. I, I do. Uh, it was uh, I was originally studying art history at, at the University of Washington when I realized it was uh, a crock of, uh, <laughs> and then ultimately I realized I was more interested in the question of, of why is is art beautiful. So yes, uh, aesthetics naturally followed. Right, and so Jordan instead he took a different route, but equally as interesting. I think. Um, I started out drawing as a as a kid. Um, I've drawn and painted. Well, actually, I started painting about three years ago. I paint on the on the daily. Uh, try and produce as much as I can. Really, the focus is is painting as as much as I can. Um, spending the time to do it more so than watching other people paint. Um, yeah, yeah. Because as everybody would know, everybody knows, it's not very entertaining to watch paint dry. Right? No, absolutely, absolutely so, not. Much more interesting to partake in the action. Right. And uh, uh, the, the problem with me is that I don't really I don't really know what I'm talking about, but the thing is I hate <laughs> on aesthetics enough that I think I can, uh, I can ruffle yeah. some feathers. Yeah, we think, think, uh, you, you, you've ruffled my feathers earlier, I, that's for sure. Just a lot of feathers to ruffle. Listen, uh, Trollis, you were going to say something. Was I now? You were going to say something on what aesthetics is, how it's structured, because what? not a lot of people might know this. That's right. Well, yeah, not, not, not tons of people uh, uh, study aesthetics. It's, it's not one of the most popular studies uh, in, in the philosophical world, though not to say it's not one of the most interesting. It, traditionally, it's structured in, in, in three fields. You have uh, the study of everyday aesthetics, which is... Uh, Things as simple as, you know, why, why, why do we regard uh, an empty street with one lamp shining on, on, on the road beautiful to, uh, to art aesthetics? You know, why, why do we find certain paintings or sculptures beautiful? And natural aesthetics, uh, why, why is it we are, you know, so fascinated by, by a mountainscape? So ultimately, uh, from these three fields, it's the endeavor to come to the conclusion of what is beauty, to, to try and find some, some tangible uh, crux and the, that we can hold on to. Now, does that mean it's... it's are we, when we look for beauty, does that mean that we, that we try to find something that is beautiful, like the most beautiful thing, bar none, within the three categories that you were talking about? Or is it beauty as a concept that then describes whatever else you want to talk about? Is uh, that well, the idea? Be- beauty really... I mean, the... You you approach it almost in a in a utilitarian manner. You know that that which is most beautiful is is most beautiful because it has all the beauty. I'm not uh, I well see it's hard because beauty really can't be tangible. The thing with beauty is it can't really be tangible because it's a passing thing, and beauty really is everything. You can't necessarily define it because. If it was definable, it wouldn't be beautiful anymore. On, on one hand, I agree with you. There is, a, there is a degree to which beauty is intangible. On the other hand, were beauty totally intangible, we wouldn't have any conception of it. Absolutely. Uh, there, there's, there's uh, I mean, 
we uh, find ourselves before the Pieta, uh, well, if you're religious or not, uh, you know, and, and, and you, you say to yourself, you know, this is, this is absolutely beautiful, this is stunning, uh, this is a very emotional piece, uh, and the, the intangibility behind it is when we start ultimately having to ask ourselves, well, yeah, it's beautiful, certainly I'm, I'm affected by this on, on an emotional level, but but why? What, what what is the purpose behind it? What how how can I rationalize this? What do you obtain from from the beauty? Is what you're so for something to be beautiful, it has to affect you. It has to have not just a lasting impression of you having seen something that is beautiful or heard or whatever, but it needs to really be there. Yeah, uh, for for something to be beautiful, I think it would be a necessary condition to to be affected by it. To a manner in which uh, a person unto themselves would would be overcome with a feeling that they peg as beauty. Mm-hmm. If that absolutely, yeah, it has. It really it does have to resonate with you on a personal level for it to be beautiful. Ultimately, though, the the, the problem becomes what's beyond it. How? Wh- wh- where? Where is the? Where is the beauty that is beyond the object? For there is the object that we that we witness, that we perceive, whether that be a, a, a sunset or a sculpture or what have you. Where is the where's the grist? Where what's what are we grasping at that that is? What is the propelling force behind that experience that is rendering unto us a conception of beauty? But isn't that coming from us? I mean, we're the ones who are internalizing all these features, and something that's beautiful Absolutely. to me is going to be different from what's beautiful to Jordan. Or beautiful. It's, it's a right? choice, yeah. So, so because it's <laughs> choice, aren't we the ones sort of coming up with whatever it actually is? So you can if, see one object in so many different lights, depending on what you choose to dive into. Right, but I mean, let's say let's say that I'm looking at that same object that all three of us are going to be looking at. Right, mm-hmm. that's a painting. I'm just looking at a painting. Right, yeah. I'm the only one in here who finds it beautiful. Let's yeah. say, does that mean, does that mean that because the object obviously isn't inherently beautiful to everyone, because we've seen that you two don't like it, so we can rule that yeah. out, because we say that, uh, we or because we can think uh, if Trellis had a different experience, or had a different piece of toast this morning, he would have been in a better mood, then that's why he doesn't like the painting. If that had happened, uh, then we know that different outcomes or different uh, different experiences lead to a different interpretation of things that may be beautiful or how we beautiful we see some things does all that put together mean essentially that it's not necessarily the painting literally that is beautiful it's simply a rendition of what of the painting it's the idea that i have of the painting in my head that is beautiful and that Absolutely. i can justify to be beautiful well uh, then that eliminates anything about being intangible doesn't it if it's all in our heads uh not not, not necessarily oh. it's a little it's a little of both i would say what do you mean I mean, it's tangible when you decide to write it down, and it becomes elusive when it fades, and then you have to find it again. Whereas, if you're in a bad mood and you see the same painting, it's it's a it can be a very negative thing. Whereas, you know, if you're in a good mood, the exact same painting the next day, it will change. It doesn't necessarily matter the quality of the paint. The paint it it depends on how you perceive it, and within one square of the painting, you can see. A million different things, depending on what you're focusing on at the time. Yeah, your point, Alessandro. A perspective is absolutely everything. There will be a painting that you may see only in a 
coffee table book uh, that you you flip through it and you say to yourself, ah, yeah, this is this is nice. Sure, I don't find it beautiful. But then by some chance you have the opportunity to see it in person. And you're absolutely floored by this experience. The, the circumstances surrounding the, the manner in which you, you've come to perceive it definitely prevails. You know, there's on you know, one hand you saw it on a coffee table in someone's house. And then on the other hand, you, you actually see the work in its own right. Living and breathing. What I think it comes down to is, is we, we have, there, there's a degree in which epistemology plays into to our, our experience of, of that which is beautiful. Um, as I, I said, you have the, the juxtaposition between the coffee table and the museum. What we can ultimately discern, and, and this is speaking only for the tangible aspect of that which is beautiful, is there is an object that we can come to understand in you know context X, and the the uh, object that we come to understand under context Y, that are ultimately two completely different things. All I asked was because the beauty registers in our heads. Yeah, and because we can't really trust the outside, the uh, the any impression of the beauty of anything else outside of our heads, right? Mm-hmm. Because if we do have two people that do not agree with the, what I find beautiful, yeah, then is the need for a tangible piece of beauty irrelevant? I'm talking purely on an epistemological level. The need for a... Uh, so, uh, okay, so is, is so your we, question... So the, the, so does beauty exist outside of objects? Well, uh, well I'm, I'm asking... I'm asking... Yeah, well, I mean, it, it does to a degree that we have to f- see something that is beautiful. I get that. Mm-hmm. But the real beauty of it, we're saying, or at least like you said before, or like it was said before... The, re- the beauty of the object has to be somewhat tangible. I would argue that it's completely intangible. The beauty is intangible by definition, simply because it's in the bowels of our head. Oh, that is a part of our body. The bowels of our head. I like that. No. <laughs> okay, no. Oh, okay, we, uh, I'm sorry. We, yeah, when you rephrase it like that, uh, I, I would agree. Uh, be- beauty is intangible. Uh, nevertheless, we as humans capable of perceiving beauty... Uh, of producing beauty, even are capable of of partaking in that experience. We're, we're we're capable of synthesizing that concept of beauty, which is intangible, and placing it into a framework that can ultimately be shared amongst ourselves. Uh, ultimately, and and that is you know, painting or uh, sculpture, poetry or simply uh, appreciating the the beauty of a rainbow absolutely or, you know, there, there are certain things that tie us together that there's reasons why we both like them there's reasons why the most beautiful things attract the most group of people and and ultimately what what, what I'd like to propose is I, I think that the the that which is what which, which brings us out of the intangibility of beauty uh, into this mortal coil is the concept of awe. That the one thing that ultimately hinges the the natural, the everyday, and the artistic into uh, the the curriculum around which our conceptions of beauty rotate, 
derives from awe. Awe can manifest itself on, on, on many different levels, and, and this is what I mean by, you know, beauty is, is heavily tied to, to epistemology. We experience a painting. Uh, upon our experiencing of, of this painting, we, we, we're, we aren't acquainted with what brush strokes were made where and why they were made. Uh, you know, Jackson Pollock was drunk smoking a cigarette and splashed some paint around and uh, Da Vinci, you know, was meticulous with every stroke he made. What we are more concerned about is this merger, the, the harmony by which all things have come together and things, I, I know, great word, uh, or let, let's take brush strokes, for example, uh, the harmony by which these brush strokes have come together to form this image that, that has become impressionable to us. The very same applies to, to, to nature. We see a sunset. We aren't necessarily, uh, you know, thinking of, you know, the equations in our head that uh, the the physics that dictate the rotation of the Earth around the Sun. Uh, what we are appreciating, in uh, ultimately, is is a consequence of of those of those maths. But it is the experience unto itself, even though it can be abstracted, it can be broken down into something else. There has ultimately become a synthesis by which we can we can come to appreciate it. For sure. And and in being incapable of understanding how that synthesis has come about is what leads to our conception of beauty. You see, I'm 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 the opposite idea in the sense that I'm assuming that the concept of awe must by definition have a lack of information attached to it. Yeah. But if you don't have as much information as you think you do, or as, or as you might want to have, when you're trying to understand anything, you know, aesthetics or not, I think it takes away from from truly being able to make a, a judgment on what that thing is, including and how beautiful it is. That, and that brings up a, an extremely valid point. It's uh, Which becomes difficult, especially... In, in the art world, because you start merging the concept of, you know, how, how ever would we be able to have an art critic? Right. Uh, if this guy knows absolutely nothing about art. Have you ever met an art critic before, <laughs> Mr. Uh, artist? I, I've met quite a few art critics. What do you think, yeah. what do you think about <laughs> art critics? Yeah. Art critics are great because they, they challenge your emotions. And really, it's, it's how they feel about your art. And how they feel about your art affects how you feel about your art. But that's but see that's that's you really, find, that's you find them point. qualified. <laughs> um, I find them absolutely qualified. Any pair of eyes is a good pair of eyes, and it's good to understand every perspective because ultimately every perspective is every perspective is God's perspective. You know how so? Um, if you were to collect every piece of experience that was ever created, that to me is what I call God. Hmm. Deep. Wow, aesthetics goes into into philosophy and religion. And- <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I, I mean, it's um, the 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 concept of a god, even though it's it's you know highly, uh, it's it's a bit of a sore point in in philosophy. <clears throat> it, 
It's a bit of a sore point. It, it is a bit of a sore point, uh, but but we, we, we have to address God from from a, a philosopher's God, and that is ultimately uh, the idea. The the yeah. idea a, a a concept that is beyond tangibility, uh, a source point, uh, and it it might be a you know flying spaghetti monster. It it might be some big bearded dude. It could be something that is just way beyond our perception, which I, I would probably hope is the latter. Anything, you know, capable of initiating the <coughs> Big Bang uh, should not be uh, comprehensible to the human mind. But, ultimately, uh, there, and, and, and this is this is how I think religious art has, has a lot of impact on, Ooh, on people. Religious art is a good topic. Well, religious art has, has a deep com- impact on people because... Uh, I mean, starting you can start religious art, you know, from whatever epoch in, in human history. Ultimately, the the endeavor of religious art from the artist—it's not to say you know the king, pope, or potentate of that you know given time—is to try and comprehend this very concept of awe. You don't think it's out oh, to just man. be propaganda for and people? See, and, and to see, me, and, that's the political is, question, but both, it's also the influence which the artist uses. I mean, that's the political question, but but that, that that's a chicken and egg question. See, all all art is religious, but it's the defined the the middle ground between truth and the lie. And so, whether you're doodling or whether you're trying to convey a message, it's always both because people will always get the wrong idea, and people will always find the right idea. At the same time, and that is really kind of the spectrum of I mean, how. No, I, see, this is coming back though. This is coming back though to the idea of misinformation. Not sorry, not yeah, misinformation. No, no, absolutely, but I, misinformation I, is. I would say misinformation. Getting lost and being found is kind of the process. Art, whether you you're you're doing art for a Christianity sake or or Buddhist sake. There's so much Christianity art, you know, going back different eras or whatever, or Hindu art. Regardless of whether you're trying to convey a message or whether you're throwing paint on a canvas. You are conveying a message, and people are going to come up with their own ideas about it, and then they'll also try and dig in what you're trying to convey as well. You see, this has turned me around a little bit. I'm sort of, <laughs> I'm sort of, I'm sort of starting to fall, falter back in the sense that I, I find that this again talking about misinformation. I'd rather not use that term because it seems like it seems like somebody's trying to uh, out, trying to be out there to misinform. I, 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 I feel but in a sense right. they are. It, That's why you well, write a big a question mark and you say why, mm-hmm. so that people people go why oh why and they ask themselves because it's not misinformation. It's, it's, it's ignorance. <laughs> ignorance. I would uh, just say lack of lack yeah. of perfect information. In the sense that you have all the information you yeah, need to make sense of one thing. But and everyone's not get ignorant caught. on on some. Right, but not to get caught on semantics. I would just like to say. It seems that this lack of information, wherever it stems from, is actually necessary now. I think I'm sort of starting to believe in the sense of awe and the sense of yeah. sense of not really being there, a complete hundred percent to understand something in order to see its aesthetic value. Yeah, yeah, and that well, yeah, it's uh, God, it's you know, it, it is difficult to verbalize, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, how, how do you how do you uh, well, and perhaps that's why we have poetry. It's that missing note. That's why we have editing software. That's, why we have editing that's software. exactly <laughs> why those things exist. Uh, when, when things get difficult, uh, hit control, delete. Yep. But, uh, <laughs> Alessandro, uh, tying it back to your point regarding the, the importance of a lack of information or, or a, a feeling of ignorance, the, the, there's definitely a, a, a necessity behind that that, that that ties into awe. 
the concept that we're working with with awe right now is that which is totally <clears throat> awe. A concept that is the totality of all information. Everything within all possible universes and outside of it. If we were to have full epistemological knowledge to every possible thing in existence, then there would no longer be a definition. There, there would no longer be awe. Simply because okay. we, we, we could come to know everything. But since we do not know everything, we have that sense of awe. And that is exactly how it ties into art. Uh, or, or a sunset or uh, an empty street in Barcelona with, with, with a guitar playing in the distance. Uh, all the stereotypes. All exactly, all the stereotypes. Uh, you, you have this conception of, you know, you, you don't understand how the brush strokes equate into this, this magnanimous painting. You don't understand the physics behind the sunset. You don't know where the guitarist is in, in the dark alleyway. It's that missing and, piece that leads you to find it. because of this mystery... You are overcome by this, this, this concept, ultimately, that, that I, I believe we can define as beauty. So, but perhaps, it's fake, though. It's, not, so, it's if, not fake. It's not fake. It's simply not knowing something it does not necessarily make it fake. Making it something that you can come to know, that's, I think that's simply beautiful. That they're, 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 you see the, the, the Pieta or the, the Garden of Heavenly Delights, and you say to yourself, my God, another human has done that. I, too, could be capable of doing that. I don't know where I'd start. I don't know how I'd do it. It is possible. I'd be able to. to or, or, or take the sunset. I know I keep coming back to that. Or, or a rainbow. You, you can say to yourself, you know, I, I may not be able to make the sunset. I may not be able to make the rainbow, but I can understand the physics behind it. I can understand why the light reflect, refracts off of, uh, of moisture in the atmosphere in, in order to display this, this wonderful array of colors. Or, or why it is the earth rotates and ellipses around the sun. It, the, the capacity, the, the, it's, just, it's almost a tease, a sort of a challenge to humanity to say, you can know this. You don't. You don't know it. But you can know Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And because you can know it, uh, and but you don't know it, there is a mystery within you that, that ultimately lends to this command of awe. And that is, is where our beauty derives from. So then something becomes less beautiful the more you know about it. So the more you figure yeah. something out... It, it, the it, less beautiful it is. It's possible, mm. but 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 not necessarily because be. Be, because every single thing that, that you come to learn begets more questions. You know, every 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 answer begets more questions, and so simply because you you may know uh, how to paint a stroke, then all of a sudden you say, well, I, I can paint the stroke, but you know, how do I make the paint? Uh, simply because well, for, you 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 understand the physics. Doesn't mean you, it's not necessarily about the physics. physics. I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying retain. to be very materialistic about all this. I mean, the the physics no, is nice because it explains yeah. the physical world. But let's say what but if we're talking the about metaphysics. The, there also, there's also <laughs> metaphysics. But what if we're talking about the beauty of an idea? A beauty of an idea. You, you, there and, is and, and, technically no physics at play. I would like. To, I, I mean, for, apart for, from for, the, for the listeners, for the listeners, this is something that we we've been talking off off mic about, um, and I would really like you to to explain this 
more more coherently because up to this point... You're talking to me, not the listeners? Yeah, 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 because I I still don't... (laughs) The use of pronouns. I'm still not 100% sure what you mean by the beauty of an idea. So here's what I'm here's what I'm trying to get at here. It's it's that we're at least from from what I understand now having listened to uh, this bit of the conversation itself that there's these three topics about aesthetics there's the correct me if I'm wrong natural uh, general and artistic. Mm-hmm. Got it? Yeah, memory retention. Yeah. And, uh, and and each beget their own, and each, own yeah, problems. and they all have their own exactly. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't leave, I don't think, much room for the importance of things that just we simply generate out of our out of our brains, out of our heads, without any without any. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's welcome to ba- philosophy. Welcome to philosophy. <laughs> uh, it's basically, can we say that something that an idea that we may have, not of not of yeah. something else. Uh, necessarily, but anything we come up with, including a painting, including a theorem, including whatever, can that also be considered to be beautiful? Can we find that? And if that's the case, if that's the case, then why is anything else that is outside of ourselves essentially better? What I'm trying to say is maybe the most beautiful thing out there, the most beautiful thing really is lodged in our heads it's our ideas our ideas See, are if, you, if you want to talk about beauty you have to talk about what's not beautiful and what's not beautiful uh, yeah, is also beautiful because of the properties of contrast and i mean you really ask yourself what makes something not beautiful well i will say this in terms of ideas i mean uh let's say a genocide is an idea somebody has to have an idea for a genocide to happen hitler thought it was beautiful well a lot of people i mean messed up as he was name them in the the last in the last century you know there's been a lot i'm assuming even before uh from how history has gone up but regardless the the idea of a genocide as bad of an idea as it actually is could it be beautiful? Not could it be beautiful. Makes makes ideas. Makes makes. But if an idea, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, if there's on. nothing more beautiful than an idea, how could hold the idea of genocide not be beautiful? <laughs> hold on a second. Hold on a second. If we're talking about contrast, if we're talking about contrast, I know that's where that was going to head. <laughs> if we're talking, what I why the reason why I brought up genocide or, or any bad idea is to the counteracts with its good idea in the sense Absolutely. of peace or in the sense of understanding. But which in its, is, which uh, is in its in its in its bad idea, if I will, um, let's say a life is taken by Hitler or genocide or whatever it is that right, this evil in general. thing. Imagine that life as a painting. This painting, I'm sorry, you, as or has as okay. This life, as you look at it as a painting, is what it is. And if you see it for all of its qualities, you have to decide it's beautiful, or you shun it. And that's your choice. And as genocide may be the worst thing, and it's not what you would choose, and it it is not beautiful, in to you, it, to to it, to me, absolutely not. But the qualities and the emotions that these people felt, regardless of whether they were forced on them or not, they still beg the question of what did they go through and why, and is it beautiful? And I would say yes. So well, are, are, did, are, are you aiming to say that suffering is beautiful? I would say so, yes. Uh, suffering is beautiful simply as it is a consequence of life? Or, or, or because the, the concept of suffering in its own right is beautiful? And, and, and let me just I, re- rephrase that in the sense that 
suffering is beautiful because cause and effect necessitate the fact that as suffering is a consequence of existence, it is beautiful, or a human being that exists without suffering, hypothetically, if such a being were to exist, would not be beautiful because they have no suffering. You know, I would agree that a human being could not... See, suffering is the basis of samsara, of the beauty of the inner workings. Let's say you take a caterpillar that's 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 making its cocoon, okay? And it, it builds and it liquefies and it's in its cocoon waiting and waiting and waiting. And you see it struggling out of its cocoon as it's ready. But it can't quite make it. And so you take a knife and you cut the cocoon open and the, the butterfly emerges. But it's got weak legs. Mm. And it can't, it can't really fly away as much because it didn't go through that struggle or that suffering, that right, but turmoil. That I mean, that butterfly is a, is a little bit different from struggling that's forced upon you from an idea like a genocide or from the idea mm-hmm. like any sort mm-hmm. of... No, 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 not, no, not really. No, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I guess what I'm saying is the human, the human condition of beauty requires the lack of beauty to finally be in the presence of awe. And, and to see it for the first time again and again and again, you have to be wiped fresh with suffering. In a sense, suffering mm. does clean you as horrible as it is. Yeah, but does, does it clean you into the point of death? I mean, yeah, I mean, there's it's it's that's it's see, that's a idea. tough one. This is something I don't, I don't that think, I, I can't I even don't answer. think it's a tough one. I just don't think that's the way it works. I don't I don't see it. I mean, I don't find it a good thing. But as God is something that I don't understand, the isness of death and the fact that it exists and the genocide, I have to look at it for its pure colors and how it is. And I have to at least put it in its place in my brain. However I put it, it's either that's, beautiful or it's... Yeah, that's fine. But I mean, the to then say, I mean, we have definitely bad things in the world we have definitely good things in the world um, but are the not, but are the bad bad that or, comes from ethics that's part the two. question that does come from ethics part two but i'm just i'm just saying <laughs> i'm saying i'm saying good and bad in the not necessarily in a moral sense but in the sense that we understand they have uh, beautiful they, aesthetically they have beautiful aesthetically and, and negative and negative aesthetics just means ugly but, i guess see, so yeah, the yeah. lack of beauty negative I mean, I'm, pretty sure a, I'm pretty sure a genocide has Negative aesthetics, just like suffering has negative aesthetics. Uh, Some things just are like that. Spoils to the victor. What do you mean? I mean, if Hitler had his way, I'm sure there would have been some, you know, twisted way in which history would have been able to to vilify, you know, the execution of millions of Jews by saying, "Oh God, you know, the world is a much more aesthetic place because whites are now dominant." See, that's that's See, what's coming back to bite me in the sense of awe and the sense of lack of information because now I'm I'm thinking I is the thing are the things that I pertain that I think are beautiful now my doing or is it simply because because of the world I live in right uh, well I well you both. know the, it, it, it could, could be both, both. but it, but it, it should be. it should just be it should just be one it should just no, be the me deciding no it's always both see you work interconnected I'm putting a normative statement out there I know I understand <laughs> you are that, trying but, to put in, in, which is really difficult because I mean I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of normative statements um, uh, but you know beauty is kind of my uh, you know Secret, secret lust, and it, it, it's hard to put normative statements on it. Uh, no, you, you you can't. I mean, 
No and yes. <laughs> uh, you know, beauty is a product of our time. There, there will be. I mean, look at look at the see the, time. Look, look, look at how you know Roman men viewed women back in, in in antiquity. They they love women, you know, curvy and fat, and it was a sign of wealth. And now, I mean, even though the trend is changing, you know, there was a period up until recently Where when we, was we thought you know anorexia was the hottest thing on earth. Which we, by the way, do not condone. Which we do not condone. Absolutely not. Absolutely. Yes. The the times in which we live certainly dictate our, 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 our conceptions of beauty. And and those conceptions will change. But th- th- that also ties back to to the concept of, of information. What, what do we have access to? How are we able to uh, perceive the world in which we live? And, and how have those perceptions come about? For what led to us being and the being by which our perceptions apply to the world in which we live. So I, you know, Alessandro, to to try and tie it back to your concept of is an idea the most beautiful thing we can have, I don't think it is or it isn't. It's almost a trivial statement. It's uh, an idea is necessarily beautiful, only in the sense that if we weren't to have that idea, no beauty would be there. If, if we were simply non-entities floating around with absolutely no mind whatsoever, like imagine a state so senseless and blank... I mean, it, you, you can't. An amoeba's See, I, ideas... You, you, you can't. Even, even a blind man feels... Ideas uh, to and and just just to to get to the crux of the matter. Yes, beauty is necessarily dependent on our epistemological experiences, but that's that's simply a fact. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that ideas are the most beautiful thing. I'm just saying it's a limit, though, because Jordan, let me ask you a question. You're mm. a painter. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a question, but you're, that was a statement. <laughs> <laughs> you're a painter. Nice semantics. Nice. You're, you're a painter. You said before that either the either the most beautiful thing or some, one of the most beautiful things was color. Yeah, absolutely. Do me a favor. Think up of a color that doesn't belong or isn't yet in our visible light spectrum. It's quite impossible. Uh, Would you look at that? We've gone over time again. Will Jordan be able to come up with a brand new color? Will Troilus come to understand the beauty of ideas? And will we ever be able to figure out what is truly beautiful? You can only find out by joining us next Monday on May 6th at 5pm Pacific Standard Time for the exciting conclusion to the Aesthetics Podcast, only here on armchairphilosophypodcast.blogspot.com.